Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today, the title is Happy Are the Insulted. Happy are the insulted. And uh, you came to the wrong Sunday, didn't you? Matthew 5, 11 to 12. We've been finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the end. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Finishing up the Beatitudes. We're still going to keep going on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go through Matthew 5, 6, 7. Then go back to Mark chapter 3. We've been doing the parallel passages. So we've been looking at the Beatitudes and the secret to true happiness. And we're not talking about that shallow emotional happiness that's based on good things happening in our life, positive outwork circumstances. We've been talking about how Jesus is talking about the blessing that he's talking about. is a supernatural joy that's not touched by anything that happens in our life. No external circumstances. It's based on a right relationship with Jesus Christ. First of all, a relationship with Jesus Christ if you're not a Christian yet. But then after you become a Christian, it's continuing to be based on a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And the nine steps to this true happiness, there's nine steps. We're on the ninth step today. And it's totally opposite from the world. We came up with an escalator slide. Thank you, Lori Lezinski. Uh, and once again, this is on the podcast. You can go look at this anytime. But we have an escalator going up and an escalator going down. But before I talk about escalators, I want to have Ian. Ian Lazinski has a special escalator story that I'm asking him to share. And then you'll see how it fits in just a minute. So Ian has quite a story about an escalator. So go ahead. I really have no idea how this fits in, but I'll tell it anyway. (laughs) All right, so one day me and my friends were at the mall getting Auntie Anne's pretzels. And uh, my friend shows me this cool trick on an escalator. See how there's like one going up and one going down? The handrails, they're right next to each other. If you lay down on them, you can actually like start spinning like a helicopter. <laughs> so he does it successfully. And then I try after that because I want to be cool and fit in. But it doesn't really work. And I get wedged in between the two. But on this particular escalator, there's no like metal piece like you see there. There's just like a gap and the, the panes are made of glass. So like I fall in between the two. And like they separate and like the glass panes just start shattering one at a time. So I'm like, uh, what do we do now? And some lady comes over, and she's like, yeah, I work with the mall. You guys can go. You're fine. That wasn't your fault. So we leave. And then as we're walking back out to the car, like, there's three of us. And, like, we're in an intersection, like, just walking in the parking lot. And three mall cops in their SUVs come and surround us. And they're like, stop, stop. And I'm, like, panicking. I'm like, should we run? And no. And they're like, I don't know, the cops came and stuff, and it was like a big mess. They took all our information and stuff. But nothing happened. They never called me or anything. So, yeah. And I'm still alive. <laughs> Didn't get hurt or anything. So, it was good. That's it. <laughs> Can you imagine shattering all those glass planes, uh, panes on an escalator? Or... Getting, finding out your kid comes home and tells you that says what they did, <laughs> counting your savings. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, uh, we're looking at an escalator, and that's what I want to talk about is a lot of us, we're all on an escalator. We're either going down, following the world, the downward goes down to a meaningless life, or Jesus gives us a secret going up the escalator, the nine steps up to a, a, a right relationship with, with God, and, and the secret to true happiness. That's what it's really all about. But a lot of times, our life are out of whack, isn't it? And we're all like, Ian, spinning on this escalator, <laughs> going in circles, right? Going around, around, around. And don't we feel like that sometimes, spiritually? We're just kind of stuck. And, and even worse, things are just cracking our life is cracking and crashing all around us and and that's really a picture of where a lot of us are spiritually but it's really important that we focus on these beatitudes and and keep trying to take the steps up the first one was remember the poor in spirit blessed are the poor in spirit versus proud in spirit poor in spirit meaning that we're totally dependent on god versus proud in spirit i don't need god and once again the downward one is taking us to a meaningless empty life a lot of us used to be on that escalator some of you may be on it today but the other one is going up 
to a relationship with God. Jesus is giving the secret here. The second one is mourning versus mocking. Mocking is a hard heart. Mourning meaning is we're, we're sorry that our life is out of whack and we want it to be right with God. The third step is meekness versus mean. The world is mean, looking out for number one, but meek is, remember there was a, a math formula that Lori helped me put together for that, it was submission to God plus dependence on his strength equals power for our life. That's what true biblical meekness is. It's not being weak, but it's being strong in, in Christ. The fourth one was hungry versus self-satisfaction. Self-satisfaction, we talked about slouching toward a meaningless existence. Being hungry was being hungry for a right relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ. Then the fifth step was mercy. Mercy versus Scrooge. The Scrooge was each man for himself, but the mercy was having an at, the attitude of caring for people and the action going along to meeting people's needs. The sixth step was pure heart versus image. The image is the focus on the external, but the, the Jesus stressed how the purity of the heart is what's far more important than the outward. We all uh, talked about that many times. Number seven, peacemakers versus troublemakers. Last week we looked at being popular versus being persecuted. Persecuted versus being popular. And then step number nine is the world says we should be insulated. Step number nine, be insulated, stay safe, stay comfortable, don't rock the boat, be politically correct. But Jesus says the key is to be insulted. Insulated versus insulted. Well, we better pray about this one too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for helping us survive the many crashes that we have on our escalator of life. We thank you for the words of Christ that give us purpose and direction and just pray that your Holy Spirit would really help us take this final step to real meaning in our life and to true happiness and to supernatural joy. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're verses 11 and 12, the last... The last one, Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, where Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he says, starts off saying, Blessed are you. And last week we focused on the persecution part, but today I want to... Focus on something different. I want to focus on the insulted and the slandered part, okay? Now, I'm not talking about, he says, because of me. This is not, this is not talking about because we did something stupid, you know, or because we're being obnoxious or we're behaving in ways we shouldn't. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being insulted because of the name of Christ. It's also not talking about, you know, being, you know, you know, picked on or picking on people because the whole bullying thing in the schools now, that's wrong anytime. You know, it has nothing to do with this, all right? That's a whole other category, all right? This is talking about people who are being insulted, us who are being insulted for because of the name of Jesus Christ, because we're living like Jesus wants us to live. That's what he's focusing on here. He says, blessed, and last week we talked about persecution, but I want to focus on the insulted part today, because that's really where we are more. That's where, in the United States, we don't face too much. There's some persecution, but mostly we're the insulted phase, aren't we? The slandered phase. That's where, we're, where we are. Persecution is coming. We talked about that last week. It's not far away, but the, 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 ins, the jump from insult to, to persecution is a very small jump. Just look at the history of the Nazi Germany. You can see what happened with the Jews and the real Christians in, in Nazi Germany. It went from insult to, to persecution very, very quickly. But we're still in the whole insulted phase. I'll give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, the, the slander phase, the kind of the attack on Christianity phase. The Supreme Court, uh, Gary Bauer, just read you something, from, I got his newsletter. Gary Bauer's newsletter said that Supreme Court stops President Obama's grab on power. Now get this. This just illustrates what I'm talking about. And the re- I'm not trying to pick on one president versus another. I'm just showing you that if the president has this attitude, think about where the country is. That's what I'm trying to show us here, all right? says, many people have been rightly concerned about President Obama's recent power grabs. I, am, uh, I don't know about much about that, but he says, I am pleased to report that one of them just was slapped down by the Supreme Court. At issue was a discrimination lawsuit filed against a religiously affiliated school after it had dismissed, dismissed one of its teachers. The Obama administration intervened against the school and argued before the high court that 
long-recognized ministerial exemptions should no longer apply to religious institutions. This was an incredibly hostile and unprecedented opinion, not to mention a potentially unprecedented expansion of federal influence over religious institutions. The New York Times described the case as likely the most significant religious liberty decision in two decades. In its opinion, written by Chief Justice John Roberts, the court's majority flatly rejected the president's administration argument, stating that it is hard to square with the text of the First Amendment itself. We cannot accept the remarkable view that the religion clauses have nothing to say about a religious organization's freedom to select its own ministers. But think about that. This is what's happened. That it's even being discussed in the United States is unbelievable, isn't it? Think about that. And just so we don't get too excited and think we're in the clear because the Supreme Court actually ruled 9 nothing and, and this one, that's how radical this view was, just so we don't get too excited, a recent case also just happened. Supreme Court rejects worship at public school appeal. Did you see that in the news? The U.S. Supreme Court let stand on Monday a ruling that religious groups cannot use public school facilities for worship services outside of normal school hours in a case about church-state separation. (laughs) The justices refused to review the ruling by U.S. appeals court that upheld a New York City, we're not New York, thank you God, uh, a New York City Board of Education policy against religious worship at its schools. The Supreme Court, and this has been going on for how many years, right? The Supreme Court rejected an appeal by the Bronx Household of Faith, an evangelical Christian church. It wanted to use a local school for Sunday religious services, including singing of hymns, prayer, and preaching from the Bible. The appeals court ruled that allowing church services in schools would violate the constitutional requirement on separation of church and state. You know that thing that's in the Constitution? Oh, I guess it's not. All right, um, uh, you know what I'm talking about here. It's the Thomas Jefferson letter. I'm not going to get into all that. But anyway, the services would send the message the government endorsed religion, it said. A city official in 2009 estimated that about 60 congregations, including the Brock's Household of Faith, used classrooms and auditoriums for worship after school and on weekends. The Supreme Court refused to hear the appeal without any comment. 60 churches out on the street in New York City. That had been there a long time. We're starting to get the picture, aren't we? But so far, we're still just in the insulted phase in the United States. That's where we are, but it's not far from that to the next. If you've studied any kind of history, church history, history, you can see how quickly it can go to the next phase because we are definitely in the insulted phase. We're definitely under attack. I'm going to use someone that you all know of to use this to to get the example, and that is Tim Tebow. Uh, If you've been following, if you've been alive in the last, your eyes have been open in the last football season, you know what's going on. this is a great example of what I'm talking about because, there are, first of all, there are many Christians on both sides of the football, many strong Christians on all the different teams, standing for Christ. It's, it's, it's very exciting. But the reason, for some reason, the media has jumped on the Tim Tebow thing, both positive and negative, on both sides for some reason. And we know God's probably behind it. God's using this for, for his purpose. If you were watching any of the game, which was not a good game yesterday for him, but if you, uh, you saw the whole purpose of that game, John 3.16 commercial, did anybody see that? Wow, focus on the family. I'm like, the, the whole win against Pittsburgh was worth it just for that, you know, just to see John 3.16 quoted on, on TV like that, national television. It was just awesome, uh, beautiful. But what I want to bring out, though, is that God is, is using Tim Tebow. If you saw the picture of the mayor of Pittsburgh Tebowing last week, I mean, it was great, you know, just to see that. And also the Pittsburgh game last week, I don't know if you saw the... I'll read you the article. I took it out of ESPN here. Uh, Where did I get it from? I can't remember. News. Tim Tebow's 316 passing yards evoked biblical number. It would have been more than enough for the polarizing Denver Broncos quarterback to simply lead his underdog to victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday in the wildcard game. And Tim Tebow did, thanks to his stunning 80-yard touchdown pass on the first play of overtime, which left the Steelers and the world simply stunned. 
But the facts and figures emerged, when the facts and figures emerged, the internet exploded. Tebow threw for exactly 316 yards, an eerie coincidence to the John 3.16 passage from the Bible, a number which he famously wore under his eyes when he led the Florida Gators to victory in the 2009 National Championship game. Uh, what's more, he set an NFL record with, you guessed it, 31.6 yards per completion. So there's all these, like, coinkadinks, right, that are there, and, 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 the, and the Internet just exploded. All these people are like, what is this John 3.16 all about? Uh, you, know, it, you know, looking at it and trying to figure out what that's all about. It was just really interesting to see how that happened. And many people have cheered for Tim Tebow, and I hope, whether you like him or the Broncos or not, we pray for him because anytime someone's in the public spotlight like that, they're going to be under spiritual attack, which we need to pray for him for that reason. Far, far more important. Um, uh, yeah, let me, let me, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was another commercial back uh, last Super Bowl, right? The focus on the family. Thank you, Gail. Did a thing on, on uh, how his mother chose to give him birth, even though the doctors urged her to award him because of health issues. And uh, now you, you know the rest of the story. Thank you, Gail. That's a great. That's another great thing, but um, but what I'm I'm just using this. It could be anybody. I'm just using this because it's such an obvious thing that all these attacks involving uh, Tim Tebow are showing us. And I'm going to read you something in just a minute. Are showing us that we are in the attack phase. It's not about Tim Tebow. It's about Christianity being attacked. And I'm going to read you uh, an article which was written by. Uh, it's a blog by Marsha Segelstein, and she's writing a, an article about a guy named George Weigel, who's a renowned Catholic intellectual. George Weigel wrote an article called Tim Tebow and Christ, Christ, Christophobia. Now listen to what this article says. Last month, ESPN aired one of its outside-the-line specials on why Tim Tebow has become such a contentious figure in sports. And it says here... this. It says on ESPN, despite his popularity, Tim Tebow's outspokenness about his conservative Christian beliefs have made him a polarizing figure. As Wegel rightly points out, plenty of sports figures out there who might be deserving of controversy. There's plenty that might be deserving of controversy. But it's Tim Tebow who's more polarizing than the trash-talking NBA giants, more polarizing than the foul-mouthed tennis players, more, um, he names the people, <laughs> more polarizing than the NFL all-stars who father numerous children by numerous women all out of wedlock. It's Tim Tebow who arises the ire of so many because of his Christian faith. The ESPN special went so far as to say that Tebow has a seething army of detractors, and they're right. A Facebook page called I Hate Tim Tebow. There's a website, TebowHaters.com. Comedian John Oliver's jokes are all about Tebow. He said, if I had a gun with one bullet and Osama bin Laden, this was before he was killed, and Tim Tebow were in the same room, he'd obviously shoot bin Laden first. But if he had two bullets, he'd shoot Tim Tebow first. Funny, right? Uh, so, in fact, in that, the fact is that many sports figures are open about their faith, getting down on one knee or pointing to the sky after a touchdown. Many athletes openly thank God during post-game press conferences and pray together before games and after games. Former NFL quarterback Kurt Warner relates to Tebow. Like me, he told uh, Darlington, the ESPN, Tim wears his faith on his sleeve. I felt like there were always people who said football should be over here, my faith over here, but th that drove me too, and I think it drives him. Tom Cottermaker, USA Today, says Tebow has become the poster boy for evangelical Christianity and sports arena, which places him at the epicenter of a cultural storm that divides our nation. That's the point here. And that sums it up perfectly. This is about a cultural war and specifically about growing anti-Christian sentiment in this country. Tim Tebow visits six children in hospitals. He spends time working at his father's mission in the Philippines. He has openly stated that he believes in saving sex for marriage. And as George Weigel points out, there is not the slightest evidence that Tebow has ever forced himself and his convictions on his teammates or on an unsuspecting public. Tebow is open about his faith, no question about it. He famously wears Bible verses on his black stripes strips while playing in college football. Tebow wrote John 3.16, won national championship game. 92 million people Googled John 3.16 after that game. Think about that.
For this he is derided and called holier than thou. For being an openly faithful Christian, Tebow is hated. Christophobia is real and getting stronger. And that's why I bring up the whole Tebow thing. There's a lot of great Christians on both things. But it's, it's, it's showing us that what's happening to Christianity and, and how it's being viewed now in our country, it's, it's definitely getting stronger. I'll give you another example that brings it out once again involving Tim Tebow partly. Tim Tebow's second game when he played, he had the first comeback against Miami, exciting. Second game against the Detroit Lions, a lot of nice guys on that team. They have that reputation, right? Well, anyway, they sacked Tim Tebow, and they did the Tebow. The, the guy who sacked him did the prayer thing over him while he was laying on the turf there. And uh, can you imagine? I mean, th- he was mocking him, totally mocking him, using his faith as a mocking point. The NFL, not a peep. Not, there was no, no flag, there was no fine, not a peep. Most of the writers who responded to the next day commentators, ah, oh, he's just having fun. And Tim Tebow took the high ground too. He said, he was just having fun, it didn't bother me. But can you imagine if he had done that to a Muslim or a Jewish person? Which would be wrong. I would not want it done to them either. Could you imagine if they mocked a Jewish person's prayer? Or a, Jew, or a, 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 a Muslim player's prayer? Out on the, a football field? You know what would have happened? That person would have never played in the NFL again. I'll, give you, I'll, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. A few weeks later, the Buffalo Bills, my team, are playing the New York Jets. And right away, the Bills score a touchdown right off the bat. And their wide receiver to celebrate, one of the players on the Jets, Burris, just got out of prison and is playing again. But he got sent to prison because he had a concealed handgun in his pants out at a nightclub and accidentally shot himself. Okay? Tragic, sad, but he automatically goes to jail because that's the law in New York City, right? So he goes right to jail. Gets out. So the, this NFL player, Bill's player, scores a touchdown. He takes his finger and he shoots himself in the leg and he falls down like he got shot himself. Celebrating. Right? Fine. First of all, flew the flag. There was a penalty immediately. They uh, uh, fined this player. The NFL gave him a fine and made him apologize. National press conference, he had to apologize to the whole country for what, his, his, what he did. <laughs> is it just me or am I, is there a disconnect here? You know, I mean, think about that. There's a, there's a culture of hate toward Christians now. It's very, very real. One of my kids' friends, a couple kids in college, and one of their friends... Over Christmas, uh, Matthew said to me, Dad, did, did Jesus, because he was talking to a friend there, and, and we were sitting around the table, and he said, Dad, did Jesus have sex with a prostitute? I go, what? He goes, he goes did Jesus have sex with a prostitute? I go, no. He, he turned to his friend and goes, see, I told you. And she goes, well, that's what I was told in class. She's going to a school, local school here, college, and in her world religions class, she was taught that Jesus had sex with a prostitute. In the class. And I said, oh, okay, let me just explain something. I said, this comes out of the Da Vinci Code. That's where it comes out of, okay? And if you want to buy the Da Vinci Code, you, ha- you go to the bookstore, and guess where you have to go to find it? Fiction section, because it's all made up. It's, it's not true, none of it. It's all, it's all made up. It's crazy. But they're teaching that as a fact in the class. They're teaching the Da Vinci Code as a fact on They're not teaching from the Bible on world religions. They're teaching from the Da Vinci Code. Can you imagine if they did that with another religion? Same classroom here in Bucks County. What if that teacher got up and said, Muhammad had sex with an underage girl? What would happen? Be a massive outcry and a huge thing, and, and he would be fired, right? But guess what? He did. Muhammad was 54 years old, married a six-year-old girl. Didn't consummate the marriage till she was nine years old. Historical fact. It's in the Muslim books. You can look it up. It's no secret. What would we call that in our society? Or any culture, what do we call that? Right? But nobody would speak that truth in a college campus today because what would happen? But they, can, they can't tell the truth a historical fact, truth about another religion, but they can tell a lie about Christianity and nobody makes a peep. That's, and, and the picture, once again, is you can't tell the truth about Muhammad, but you can tell a lie about Jesus Christ. 
It's telling us something about where our country is going. We are in the insulted phase. And we're insulted, Jesus says, insulted because of my name. Insulted because of Jesus Christ. That's where we are in the United States today. We're insulted. But make sure that if we are insulted, it's because of the name of Jesus Christ as Christians. Not because of the way we say things, but because of the truth of what we say. And make sure we speak that truth in love, right? That's very, very important. But that's where we are. We're being, because of Jesus Christ, we are now under attack. I know when we started this church, and we're starting it up, and for those who are here, remember all the stuff that happened in the paper and the TV and people outside with signs and trying to sneak inside. The policemen, there was, it's here. It's here in New Hope. You know, it's here, in, it's here now. It was here 10 years Ten years ago. And I remember getting a phone call from one of the ringleaders of this whole movement trying to force us out. And, and she said to me, we were talking about all these different issues, but I kept taking all the issues that she was bringing up, all these different, uh, different issues, and I kept going back to the Bible and back to what Jesus said and back to the Bible and back to what Jesus said. And finally she got frustrated and she says, well, I guess it all just comes down to because you believe in Jesus and what he said. But, but I was happy when she said that. I go, that's right. That's our difference. It's not politics and, and cultural wars and all that. It's Jesus. And that's where it should stay. And I said, that's right. I believe in Jesus. And I believe in what he says. And that's why we're disagreeing. And if you recognize it, great. Because that's where we are. And, and if we believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, in fact, Next verse there. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is a fact. And that's why we're blessed because it shows if we're being persecuted or insulted or slandered, it shows we're really a Christian and really living for Jesus Christ. And guess what? If we're not ever insulted or never looked down on or never criticized because of our faith odds are we're not living for Jesus Christ because it's impossible it's impossible to do that and Jesus goes on to say rejoice and be glad doesn't that sound crazy rejoice and be glad in fact in Luke in Luke 6 which is a parallel passage he goes even further when he's talking about this in Luke 6 verse 22 he says Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Leap for joy. (laughs) Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But something happens spiritually. When When we live for Christ and we're persecuted or insulted or slandered because of it something happens let me read you this verse uh first peter 4 verse 12 says this dear friends do not be surprised at the trial painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed if you are insulted because of the name of christ you are blessed For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When we're insulted because of Christ, we're blessed because the Holy Spirit comes on us in a a special way. He's always inside, but he fills us in a special way when we go through that that kind of persecution. I uh, I can't explain it, but I have experienced it. Not like the apostles or anything like that. But I've experienced it. I remember once again when we started this school. The, there was a movement to kick us out of the school when we first started the church in the school here. There was a movement to kick us out. I remember I had to go to a school board meeting. And some, some of you may have even been there back then. And at the school board meeting, they were going to have a vote on whether we could stay here or not. And our detractors came or the accusers came. And, and I didn't say anything. Believe it or not, the, somebody in the school defended, defended us. One of the school uh, people here defended us because they could see how silly it was. But I was roasted that night. Roasted. You could not believe the hateful things that were said. In fact, one woman even stood up and started screaming in my face in front of the whole big packed room, Jesus hates you, you bigot. He hates you, he hates you, he hates you. Screaming, telling me that Jesus hated me. 
because of my stance on what the Bible teaches, I didn't say anything. The school vote, board voted eight to one in our favor. The one who voted against us is one of my good friends now. And, uh, I, but it was so hot. And one of the people behind me, one of the ladies, tapped me on the shoulder in the midst of all this and said, welcome to the long arm of tolerance. I've seen the face of tolerance. It's an ugly face. Because it's not true tolerance. It's far from that. We should all be tolerant, shouldn't we? Biblically tolerant. But not, this is a whole other thing. And, and on the way out, actually a few people from our church walked me out. Because <laughs> they thought I was going to be physically attacked. So did I. It was hot. That's why we had police in the service for three months. They had to be here. And, but I'll tell you something. Walking out that night was one of my happiest nights ever. I was never so alive spiritually as that night. I was like full of the Holy Spirit. I was happy. Happier than if my team had won the Super Bowl. Really happy. And it didn't end. It was awesome. It didn't make any sense, but I was. I was blessed. That was a tiny little piece of persecution. It was nothing. Think of the blessing these people that were supporting over the Philippines are getting. Doesn't make any sense. I can't explain it, but I can just... I can just describe it. That's what the the apostles were talking about in Acts chapter 2. When they came out of being beaten, severely flogged. In Acts chapter 2 it says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Where are we at? I can't, I got a mental block. Acts chapter 2 verse 40, 42. Anybody help me there? I'm going to have to do it by memory. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. uh, After they had been severely flogged, the apostles were ordered... Uh, we lost that one. Okay, I'm going to have to turn to it. Got, after the apostles had been severely flogged, they were... This is what happened when you turned 50. You can't remember your verses anymore. All right, here we go. Wait a minute. I can't even remember the passage now. Acts 5. That was my problem. Acts 5, verses 40. Uh, says this. Come on, Josh. I need my help back there. That's my cue back there. All right, thank you. All right, there it is. His speech persuaded... Now I found it. Thank you. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The Holy Spirit does something awesome, something special. And he goes on to say, rejoice and be glad, because number, there's two reasons why we should be rejoice and be glad. Number one, because great is your reward in heaven. You ever watch like Survivor or Fear Factor, and you think, why are these people eating those things or going through this craziness? What are they doing that for? Why do they do it? There's a reward. They win a lot of money, right? They get some kind of big award, million dollars, whatever it is, right? They're going to get a reward. They're focused on their reward, not what they're going through, not the lizard that's crawling on their face or the snake they're kissing or whatever it is, right? They're focused on the reward. And that's what Jesus says. We focus on the reward. The reward in heaven, the the. the the, the, the prize money that will never be taken away from us in heaven. There's going to be a reward. And not only that, the second thing is not just because the greatest reward in heaven, but also because they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. It proves you're for real and that you're a Christian and you're living for Jesus Christ. Just like the prophets were persecuted, you're being persecuted, you're connected. It proves you're for real. The Old Testament prophets who were before you. The Old Testament prophets, they talk about the, the, in 
Hebrews chapter 11 talks about the hall of fame. You've all, I mean, hall of faith. You've all heard of the hall of fame. Somebody gets in the hall of fame, it's a big deal. But who really remembers them down the road? Very few people. But the hall of faith lasts forever. And in Hebrews 11.37, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets. This is who he's talking about. It says they were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. goes into this whole list of what happened to the Old Testament prophets. And the New Testament prophets got the same treatment. The, the apostles, we've talked about this. Twelve apostles, oh, a lot of them were martyred, unbelievable, crucified upside down, heads cut off. The only one who survived was John. Why? Because they put him in oil and boiled him. The emperor boiled him in oil. He didn't die. So they sent him off to an island where he ended up writing the book of Revelation. It's crazy, right? But, but persecution for Jesus Christ is proof that we're living for Jesus Christ. That's the proof. And prophets are persecuted. Every prophet, every person who lives a prophetic life is persecuted. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, uh, celebration, remembering him. He was a prophetic voice. Look what happened to him. He was a prophetic voice for racial equality, which every Christian should totally believe in. And a lot of them didn't back then. Billy Graham stood with him. Billy Graham broke code and, and stood next to, stood together. They, he actually affirmed him and stood with him publicly. That was courageous on Billy Graham's part. But Martin Luther King Jr. really took a courageous stand. It came out of his Christian faith. He was you know, a reverend. It came out of his Christian faith. And that's why he was killed for his stance. It was a Christian belief that he had. One that we should all have. But, but the persecution for Jesus Christ is proof that we are living for Jesus Christ. And just as, also, just as popularity with the world is proof that we're not living for Jesus Christ. If you are popular with the entire world, with everybody, and everybody speaks well of you, guess what? You're in bad shape. Back to Luke, remember we talked in Luke chapter 6, jumping for joy for persecution? Listen to what else he says in verse 26. Jesus said this, he said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. When all men speak well of you, I'm not saying it's wrong of anybody, but when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. That's how, we, that's how they were treated. It's impossible to live in our culture today and be spoken well of by all people. We're in a Christian culture, it's different, but we're not. We're in a post-Christian culture. And if everybody's good with you, guess what? That's not a good thing. And that goes for the way we live. That goes for Preachers and pastors, I see ministers that are very successful, have stadiums full of people every year, basketball stadiums full of people every Sunday. But I go out and listen to their message, and no wonder they do. Because they don't preach the Bible. It's crazy, isn't it? It's scary to see. It's impossible. If we're going to live for Christ, we're going to face persecution. How about us? How is God speaking to us today? Are we trying to live insulated, popular lives? Are we willing to be insulted, to be persecuted by living for Jesus Christ? Are we living for temporary rewards? Are we trying to make the hall of fame? Or are we living for eternal rewards? We're trying to make the hall of faith. Hall of faith. And I believe, I'm going to come back, I'm going to read you a very touching story about, once again, Tim Tebow, because it's he's someone who's living for eternity. You know what? They lost yesterday, but you know what? Well, after you hear this, you're going to realize what he's really playing for. Because this is a great example. In spite of all the attacks, he just keeps on praying and playing. In spite of, and, and, and he keeps living out his faith. And that's something people can't attack. And this is, how do we live in, in this culture of being insulted and slandered and persecuted? How do we live? I'm just going to give you one example of, of someone who f- keeps on living for Jesus Christ in spite of it. Listen to this. By a uh, great example of how to live for Christ, no matter what people are, what, no matter what the score is in our life, no matter what's happening, no matter what we're facing, persecution, insults, keeping an eternal perspective. And this was written by Rick Riley, ESPN, one of the best sports writers in America, giant in sports writing. He says this. This was a couple days ago. I've come to believe in Tim Tebow. But not for what he does on a football field, which is still three parts Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll and two parts Mr. Hyde. No, I've come to believe in Tim Tebow for what he does off the football field, which is, represents the best part of us, the parts I want to be and so rarely am. 
who among us is this selfless? Every week, Tebow picks up so- out someone who is suffering, who is dying, or has been injured. He flies these people and their families to the Broncos games, rents them a car, puts them up in a nice hotel, buys them dinner, usually at Dave & Buster's, gets them and their families pregame passes, visits with them just before kickoff, exclamation mark, gets them 30-yard line tickets down on a low, visits with them after the game, sometimes for an hour, has them walk him to his car and sends them off with a basket of gifts. Home or road, win or lose, hero or goat. Remember last week when the world was pulling its hair out in the hour after Tebow had stunned the Pittsburgh Steelers with an 80-yard touchdown pass? And Twitter, Twitter was exploding with 9,000 tweets about, Peter per, about Tebow per second. What an ESPN poll was, when an ESPN poll was naming him the most popular athlete in America, Tebow was spending that hour after the game talking to 16-year-old Bailey Knob about her 73 surgeries so far and what TV t- shows she likes. This is what he's doing. Not listening to the praise. Not listening to the insults. What is he doing? For Tim Tebow's take on being named, uh, okay, he was named America's most popular athlete. Here he just played the game of his life, recalls Bailey's mother, Kathy, of Loveland, Colorado. And the first thing he does after his press conference is come find Bailey and ask, did you get anything to eat? He acted like, like what he had just done wasn't anything. Like it was all about Bailey. More than that, Tebow kept corralling people in the room for Bailey to meet. Hey, Demarius, come in here a minute. Hey, Mr. Elway. Hey, Coach Fox, come meet Bailey. Even though sometimes fatal Wegener's disease, whatever it's called, has left Bailey with only one lung, the attention took her breath away. It was the best day of my life, she emailed. It was a bright star among very gloomy and difficult days. Tim Tebow gave me the greatest gift I could ever imagine. He gave me strength for the future. I know now that I can face any obstacle placed in front of me. Tim taught me never to give up because at the end of the day, today might seem bleak, but it can't rain forever and tomorrow's a new day with a new promise. I read that email, the sports writer says, I, wrote, I read that email to Tim Debow and he was honestly floored. Why me? Why should I inspire, he said. I just don't feel, I just don't know adequate. Really, hearing her story inspires me. It's not just NFL defenses that get Tebowed. It's high school girls who don't know whether they'll ever go to the prom. It's adults who can hardly stand It's kids who will die soon. For the game at Buffalo, it was Charlottesville, Virginia, blue-chip high school quarterback Jacob Rainey who lost his leg after a freak tackle in a scrimmage. Tebow threw three three interceptions in Buffalo that game, and the Broncos were crushed 40-14. to He walked into the room and took a big sigh and said, Well, that didn't go as planned. (laughs) Rainey remembers. Where I'm from, people wonder how sincere and genuine he is. But I think he's the most genuine person I've ever met. Then back to the writer, Rick Riley. There's not an ounce of phoniness or Hollywood in that kid Tebow. I've looked everywhere for it. Take nine-year-old Zach Taylor, a child who lives in constant pain. Immediately after Tebow shocked the Chicago Bears with a 13-10 comeback, Tebow spent an hour with Zach and his family. At one point, Zach, who has 10 doctors, asked Tebow whether he has a secret prayer for hospital visits. Tebow whispered whispered it in his ear, and because Tebow still needed to be checked out by the Broncos team doctor, he took Zach in with him, but only after they had whispered it together. And it's not always kids. Tom Driscoll, a 55-year-old who's dying of brain cancer at a hospice in Denver, was Tebow's guest for the Cincinnati game. The doctors took some of my brain, Driscoll said, so my short-term memory is kind of shot. But they, they I'll never forget. Tim is such a good guy. The whole thing makes fo- no football sense, of course. 
Most NFL players hardly talk to teammates before a game, much less visit with the sick and dying. Isn't that a huge distraction? Just the opposite, Tebow says. It's by far the best thing I do to get myself ready. Here you are about to play a game that the world says is the most important thing in the world. Win and they praise you, lose and they crush you. And here I have a chance to talk to the coolest, most courageous people. It puts it all in perspective. The game doesn't really matter. I mean, I give 100% of my heart to win it. But in the end, the thing I most want to do is not win championships or make a lot of money. It's to invest in people's life and make a difference. So that's it, Rick Riley again. So that's it. I've given up giving up on him. I'm a 100% believer. Not in his arm, not in his skills. I believe in his heart. His, there will definitely be a pony under the tree optimism. The way his love pours into people, right up to their eyeballs, until they believe they can master the hopeless comeback too. Remember the QB who lost his leg, Jacob Rainey? He got a prosthetic leg a few weeks ago, and he wants to play high school football next season. Yes, tackle football. He'd be the first to do that on an above-the-knee amputation. Hmm, wonder where he got that crazy idea. Tim told me to keep on fighting no matter what, Rainey said. I am. That's a picture. I believe. Think of all Tim Tebow's been criticized for and attacked for and... All the media attention, positive and negative, think about it. He's become the lightning rod. And what does he do? He plays and he prays. And he keeps outliving his faith with people. Loving people. I think that's a great picture of what Jesus is telling us here in the Beatitudes. Doesn't matter if we're being insulted, slandered, persecuted. Doesn't matter what we're going through. That's what God's calling us to be. Where are we on this escalator? Back to our, our nine steps on the escalator. Are we experiencing true happiness? Supernatural joy? Because, we, because of our right relationship with Jesus Christ? Are we experiencing that? Maybe you're here today. And you've tripped up on one of these steps or fallen flat on your face or shattered the whole thing. Jesus says, get back on the escalator. He's waiting to have that right relationship with us. He wants that with us. Maybe you're telling you're not a Christian yet. You're in the right place. I hope you keep coming. Keep seeking. Keep seeking for God. But maybe you realize that you're on this escalator going down to an empty life, a meaningless life, a downward slide. We all were before Jesus Christ. You're in good company, every one of us. Only Jesus Christ can give meaning to our life. Only by surrendering it completely to him can we have true meaning in life and true happiness and true supernatural joy. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, you can have that. If you're seeking, that's okay. But if you're ready to take that step, I want to encourage you. John 3, 16. If you've been watching football, you've heard this. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to him and got on his escalator. But God's Spirit is speaking to you right now. And you don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to be able to answer a lot of theological questions. You just have to know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus Christ. He gave him to die on a cross in our place to take our punishment for our sin so that we could be forgiven. That whoever believes in him, the word believe means to put your faith and your hope and your trust in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. And eternal life starts now, today. 
When you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven. It starts now. Real life starts now. and goes forever. And you can do that right now. Right where you're sitting. Just pray to God. Call out to him in your heart. Just call out to him and say, God, I do believe Jesus is your son who died on the cross for me, for my sin, for all the garbage in my life. I believe it. And I put my faith in Jesus, my hope and trust in Jesus to forgive me. I'm getting off that escalator that's going down, that self-focused, sinful escalator going down. I repent of that. I turn away from it. I get out of your escalator going up, Father. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I give my life to Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, just now the Holy Spirit has come into you in a special, powerful way, and your life will never be the same. I can't describe it, but I've experienced it. And you're going to too. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've taken a step. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Shoot an email. Call, call. Tell one of your friends here. Let somebody know you've put your faith in Jesus Christ so that we can be excited for you and, and, and encourage you. For the rest of us, how's God speaking to us? We've already put our faith in Christ, but our escalator's stuck, cracking, breaking. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today? What do we need to surrender? What step of faith up this escalator do we need to take today? How, what is God talking to us about today? Maybe you're here and you're struggling and you need someone to encourage you, to help you. I want to encourage you to make a commitment to talk to somebody. Maybe you fill out the prayer card and stick it in the box. Maybe you come let me know, shoot me an email. Maybe you just go up to somebody after the service and say, this is where I'm struggling. I need someone to come alongside of me and, and help me take that next step up this escalator. I need spiritual encouragement. We're all here for each other. We, we all struggle. We all fall flat on our face. We all have broken lives. But if you need someone, talk to me. Talk to anybody here. Father, I pray that every one of us would experience your Holy Spirit in a special way, whether it's because we put our faith in you today or it's because we are living for you, that we experience your Holy Spirit. We need your Spirit's help to do this. We cannot do this in the flesh on our own. We need you. And I pray each one of us would touch people's lives. Maybe we're not going to do it on a national level like a Tim Tebow, but Lord, I know you've called each of us to touch people's lives with the love of Jesus Christ. Pray you empower us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.